Uh, tonight, let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. Lots of changes in the liturgy tonight, in the bulletin. Hope that's okay. But Ephesians chapter 1. And a uh, familiar passage at verse 3. I'm going to read down a couple of verses here. Uh, Paul, in this wonderful praise for all the works the triune God has done to save us, he says, he praises God in verse 3, saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he goes on to describe one of those is election, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's the goal of our being chosen. In love, he predestined us, the goal is for adoption, to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, that is Jesus, and it's in him, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. So far, uh, the reading of God's wonderful words. And so here, this wonderful praise to God uh, for every spiritual blessing that he has given to us and uh, in that reading there, just uh, uh, to pick out a couple of them, uh, the apostle praises God for his choosing us in his grace, uh, giving us Jesus uh, to die for us, to redeem us from our sins by his blood, so the cross, uh, his perfect life, and, and his resurrection for us. Uh, and uh, all this, the apostle says, notice, uh, it's, it's, it's all to the praise of his glorious grace. Uh, and that's the grace that he has blessed us with and that he has lavished upon us. He's poured out upon us so abundantly. And so what Paul wants us to know from this passage is that we are to praise God for his lavish grace. We are to praise God for his lavish grace. And so if... or. Uh, so as we talk about the doctrines of grace, uh, if these doctrines teach us of grace, but they don't lead us to praise the God of grace, then perhaps we haven't understood what God's grace is. Perhaps we haven't ourselves experienced what it is to be a recipient of the grace of God. To be a child of God, to be adopted uh, as a child of God, uh, to have all of our sins forgiven, all of our trespasses wiped away, all the, all the debts that we owe wiped away and done, uh, done away with. Perhaps we haven't known that. Because if our doctrine doesn't lead us to uh, doxology, that is to praise, then it's not really Bible theology. It's not really biblical doctrine. And so Paul says to us to praise God for his lavish grace because it's in his grace, it's according to his grace, it's to the praise of his grace uh, that he's done all these things, that he has given us all these blessings in the heavenly places. So our doctrine must lead us to 
doxology. It must lead us to praise. Our theology in our heads must lead, uh, must trickle down to our hearts, must affect us, affect us, uh, so that we praise him, that we speak of him, that we live for him, uh, that we seek to uh, share who he is and what he's done to everyone around us. And I want us to think then tonight about uh, the doctrine of grace called regeneration, uh, that God has not only chosen us, as the apostle says here, Christ has not only died for us, as again Paul says here, uh, and as we saw last Sunday, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our trespasses, so he's chosen those who are dead, he's died for those who are dead, and he's given us the spirit to make those who are dead alive. That's what regeneration is. It's the giving of new life. Or to use Jesus' term, it's to be born again, to have new birth. So let's praise God tonight uh, for the lavish grace of the Holy Spirit in regenerating us, in giving us new life, new birth. So let's praise him as I want us to think there in those three points. We want to praise him. Uh, We want to bless his holy name uh, for the grace of regeneration, which is described in various passages as a heavenly birth. So we praise God tonight for giving us uh, a new birth that comes down out of heaven. There's three texts there I mentioned uh, on the outline. I'll just, I'll just uh, quickly mention what they are. You can read them. But Jesus in John chapter 3, I hope you know that passage where Nicodemus comes to him at night. He's afraid uh, of his friends and those who are his colleagues. Uh, you know, we would, in our, in our terms, we'd say, you know, he's afraid of his family. He's afraid of his uh, people on the workplace. He's afraid of those in the city council that he serves along with. He can't really say that he trusts in Jesus during the daytime. People can't see him walk into Jesus, uh, into a house where Jesus is staying. And so he waits for the nighttime where he can kind of cloak himself and go into the dark of night and, and find a room and find a place where Jesus is at to be able to ask him questions about who Jesus is. And he comes to him at night. And Jesus, recognizing this, he, he tells him that unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that language and that phraseology I mentioned before of being born again, it's, it's uh, in literary terms what's called a double entendre. It's, it means two things, or it can be taken in two different ways. It can mean, it can mean to be born again, or it, can mean, or it can mean to be born from above. And Nicodemus understands it in that sort of crass first way, to be born again. That's why he asks, well, how can I go back into my mom's belly and into my mom's womb and come out again a second time? I'm an adult. That's ridiculous. That makes no sense. That goes against all reason and logic and experience. And then Jesus says, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, and he's quoting there from Old Testament uh, prophets, of the new life that Israel had to have, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot see my kingdom. And he goes on to say that that which is born of flesh is flesh. If you're just born of a, of an, in a natural way, you're going to have a natural life. But that which is born of the Spirit, that's why we know that Jesus is speaking of heavenly birth. He's not speaking of earthly birth. That which is born of Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, is Spirit. So we praise God that he's given us new birth, that he gives us new life, that it comes from him. It doesn't come from our moms. It doesn't come from our dads. It doesn't come from our family. It doesn't come from our family tree, the last name that we have, uh, all the things that we've inherited. No, it comes from God. You've got to be born from above. You've got to be born by the power of the Holy Spirit from heaven. And then in James chapter 1, there's this little phrase in uh, James 1, verse number 18, where, 
where uh, 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 the apostle says, of his, God's, of his own will, he's brought us forth. This very same language of uh, uh, regeneration, being born again. But it's of his will. It's of God's will. It, it links back to what Jesus taught his disciples uh, that it's not that, that, that we are born again, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, not of anything humanly, uh, uh, of human origin, that we are born from God, that spiritual new birth, that heavenly new birth. And then in First Peter chapter 1, he, he again says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again. He has caused us. Listen to those words who has caused us to be born again. And that's why on that first side of the sermon notes page, there's a couple of paragraphs there. I won't uh, read them, but I'll just mention a little quick line in that article 12 of the Canis of Dort. Uh, right in the middle, it says, rather it is an entirely supernatural work, describing regeneration. It's an entirely supernatural birth. That's why it's a heavenly birth. It comes from heaven. It comes from God. We can't make ourselves regenerated. We can't give ourselves new birth. Uh, we can't, we, we can't uh, give our children a born-again experience in baptism. Even the waters of baptism don't give this regeneration. We, we ourselves, we can't create it by the amount of prayers or the intensity of our prayers or the amount of tears alongside of our prayers and with our prayers. It has to come from God. It's got to come from God. We've got to be born from above. We've got to be born of God's will. We have to be born because he's caused us to be born again. We have to have a heavenly birth. Now people might ask, and at least they, they ask me, uh, maybe they'll ask you too. Well, you know, do, do you reform people still believe that God does miracles? Somebody asked you that question, how would you answer that? You know, do you, do you Calvinists, do you reform people, do you, you know, old school Protestants, do you still believe that God does miracles? How do we know that? It's like the greatest miracle of all, isn't it? <laughs> Every time a sinner is born again. Every time a sinner repents and believes and is baptized as evidence of that, it evidences, it shows, it demonstrates that God is the one who's given them new life. And every one of us who have, especially those of us who've come to know that later in life, our, our kids are, are, are baptized and they're taught, and they're, uh, they're, we pray with them, we teach them the Bible, we, we try to live a godly life around them and, and for, uh, uh, in front of them. And, uh, you know, we, we, we thank the Lord that uh, Sip and Caden have professed their faith. And we pray the same for all of our kids that they, that they would be able to say, you know, I've never known a day where I didn't trust in Jesus. I don't have that experience. My kids know this. I don't have that experience. I, it took God to have to make me alive as an almost 18-year-old. From wickedness and sin to being made alive. And we'll come to that in just a second here. But yes, we believe in miracles. Yes, we believe that God still does the miraculous. Yes, we still believe that God does supernatural stuff because every time a sinner is born again, we see that. How else would a a sinner know Jesus, right? One hymn says it like this. Spirit of life, 
Thy grace impart and breathe on sinners slain. We pray the Spirit of God would uh, breathe upon us and impart His grace on us, those of us who are dead, slain sinners. We, we have nothing in ourselves. We've got to be born again. So we praise God. We praise God, as, as Paul does here, that God has lavished upon us His grace, especially this grace of being born again, this heavenly birth. And then secondly, we also want to think tonight about, uh, we, 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 we praise God for giving us new creation, Regeneration, new life, is described as a new birth. It's described as a new creation, in fact. A new creation. James 1, verse 18 again, uh, James tells us that it's of God's own will that he's brought us forth. And then he says that we are a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That's, that's the harvest kind of language, right? So, you know, when Carrie and I lived in Iowa for uh, a long time ago, when I was a seminary student for a summer as an intern at a, at a church, uh, I'd never, I, I had only seen corn at the grocery store, right? <laughs> Bright, shiny yellow, you know, uh, all, the, all the little fibers are gone. The, you know, maybe you see a husk as a kid and you have to husk corn with your dad or your mom once or twice, uh, you know, but we see corn in, in, in cans, right? Corn kernels and that sort of thing. But you never see how it's made, right? Where does it come from? Do we just go to the grocery store and we buy corn and it just sort of miraculously appears every day in a nice pile, nice and shiny, bright and yellow? No, it takes a farmer who has to, at least in the old days, with his very hands, you know, pop a little hole in the dirt, put a little seed there, cover it over, sprinkle some water on it, see some sunshine, and do, repeat that every single day. Sunshine, water, sunshine, water, right? Um, now they have big combines, they have big machines that do it all for them. Uh, but still, it has to come from work. It has to come from labor. And so he's describing here that we are like a first fruits. We're, we're the first parts. We're that, uh, that first uh, a bit of the corn or whatever it might be that's harvested. Sometimes it's the best part uh, of all the rest. And he's describing that of us because we are, as he says of his, of his readers, uh, kind of like a first fruits of his creatures, and that leads us to, to think this is more than just first fruits of a big harvest. It's also, he's describing here, new creation. God has many creatures, many things that he's made, especially us as human beings, and of human beings, some are born again, and they are like new creatures, new creations. And so we read from uh, Paul's letter there, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed, and the new has come. In those canons of Dort, one of, our, one of our confessions, there's this great line where it talks about regeneration with these kind of passages in mind, and it says that uh, this regeneration is not uh, lesser than or inferior uh, to, the power of that, uh, to the power of creation. That, that the work of God to give us new life as a new creation is not less than, it's not inferior to God's power that created the world, the heavens and the earth. Does God do miracles today? Absolutely. The miracle of giving new creation life by the same power of God that made everything in the beginning, that power in a sort of universal cosmic way in one person's life 
That's miraculous. And this new creation is so powerful, so effective, uh, so magnificent, so miraculous, that God does this. Listen to this. Again, this is on that other page, the front page of the Sermon Notes page. I'll just kind of summarize for you. Uh, it's there in that article number uh, 11. It's describing us as sinners, and then the power of the Holy Spirit regenerates us, and here's what it looks like. Here's why the Spirit gives new creation, and it's like creation power. Because he opens closed hearts. Have you ever tried to open a, closed, a person who's close to the gospel by yourself? He opens closed hearts. He softens hardened hearts. Again, try it. I dare you, right? He circumcises uncircumcised hearts. Those of us with, with, with unbelieving loved ones, and we've tried to, uh, we've prayed, uh, we've shared nicely. Sometimes, you know, with our own family, we can get a little agitated about these things. And you, you come to realize, you know, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I cannot circumcise an uncircumcised heart. I cannot open a closed heart. I cannot uh, soften a hard heart. It's got to come from someone else. We'll call the pastor, right? He'll, he knows the answers. Call the seminary students in the church, right? Call an elder. You know, call, call my dad-in-law, maybe. You know, he has, he has got a bunch of books on a bookshelf uh, in his study you know, somewhere. He isn't the Holy Spirit either. No one is. This power is so powerful, so miraculous, uh, so much like the first creation. And again, that, that article goes on to say that God makes uh, the dead will alive. God makes the evil will of sinners good. He makes the unwilling will willing. He makes the stubborn will compliant obedience and he makes us that are like dead trees jesus said he transplants us and he causes dead fruit and dead branches and dead everything to become alive so that we begin to produce good fruit in our hymnal there's this hymn i don't think we've ever sung this hymn actually in church. I think I heard it way back when, when I, uh, when I was a rabble-rouser uh, Calvinist college student, I heard this hymn. And remember, uh, remembering uh, just how much of an effect this hymn had on, had on me hearing it, I want to read a couple lines. This is the 465, song 465, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling. Uh, the second verse is a prayer, breathe. O oh, breathe thy loving spirit into every troubled breast. Think about the hardest heart that you know. Could have been yours. Let us all in thee inherit. Let us find the promised rest. Take away the love of sinning. Alpha and Omega be. End of faith as its beginning. Set our hearts at liberty. Again, the next verse. Come, Almighty, to deliver. Let us all thy life receive. Suddenly return and never, never more thy temples leave. 
thee. We would be always blessing, serving thee as thy hosts above, the angels above. Pray and praise thee without ceasing. Glory in thy perfect love. And then there's this final line, which relates to our theme here of a new creation. Finish then thy new creation. Pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Change from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place. Till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. God is to be praised. We are to praise him that he gives new life, new creation life to us in Jesus Christ. And finally, this regeneration, this idea that God makes dead people alive, blind people to see, uh, hardened hearts to be soft, closed hearts to be open, uncircumcised hearts to be circumcised, uh, unwilling wills to be willing, stubborn to be compliant, dead to be alive, and so forth and so forth. It's a miraculous re- uh, resurrection. This is a miraculous resurrection. You know, do Calvinists believe that the Holy Spirit is living and active and that, and that he still does miraculous things? Absolutely, because he makes dead sinners alive. It's a miraculous resurrection for a lifeless sinner to trust in Jesus. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, after he says that, that we were once dead, we once lived according to the course of, the, of our minds and the world, the devil himself, we were children of wrath, he says. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Notice all the action is on God's part. We were dead, but he was the one who loved us and who showed mercy upon us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. That's resurrection. Made us alive together with Christ. And then Paul can't help but say in the middle of the sentence, by grace you've been saved. And he's made us alive with Christ, and he's raised us up with him. That's resurrection. And he has seated us in heavenly places. God makes alive. God gives new birth. God makes new creations. God resurrects the dead still today. How does he do it? He does it by resurrecting sinners from death to life. Eternal spirit by whose breath the soul is raised from sin and death. Before thy throne we sinners bend to us thy quickening power extend. So if we know, if we have experienced and if we know that we have been miraculously given, been given new birth. We have been miraculously become new creations. If we have been miraculously resurrected, then we should, number one, praise God from whom all blessings flow. This blessing of regeneration. We should sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And we should pray, knowing that God has made us alive. We should pray to this same God to make others alive. Before thy throne we sinners bend, that hymn said, to us thy quickening power extend. And may that power extend not just to us, but through us. To others who are still unwilling, whose eyes are still closed and blind, whose hearts are still hardened, closed, 
uh, uncompliant, unwilling, evil, dead, lifeless, fruitless. May the Spirit's grace and power extend through us to our loved ones as well. Let's pray.